Welcome to the e-commerce disruptors podcast, where alongside digital marketing experts, we give you our best tips, techniques, and insights on how you can be a disruptor in your industry. In today's episode, we talk to Courtney Hickey and Daniela Kohler from Hughes Brand Mix, who's responsible for branding and package design on some of the top CPG brands like Trolley, Black Forest, and Crockpot, to name a few. Courtney and Daniela will teach us about the importance of your brand strategy, whether it's seen on the shelf or online in your e-commerce store. Now here's the episode. Hope you enjoy. Hi, welcome to e-commerce disruptors presented by Electric Engine, where we give you tips, techniques, and advice to help you disrupt your industry. Uh, I'm Noel Lopez, and today we have two guests, Courtney Hickey, the account manager at Hughes Brand Mix, and Danielle Kohler, the director of account services at Brand Mix. If you guys want to introduce yourself. I'm Daniela Kohler from Hughes Brand Mix. And I'm Courtney Hickey from Hughes Brand Mix. And just some background. So I've been at my current role about four years. I don't know if you want to go I've been years. in my current role for quite a long time. Um, essentially started the account services department at Hughes Brand Mix and have lived through a lot of fun, evolutionary changes and worked on many exciting brands over the years. Yeah, and just some history kind of on who we are, what we do. Uh, We are located in Connecticut, just about an hour outside the city. And we have worked with all sorts of CPG, consumer packaged goods companies for the last 30 plus years. And what we do is package design mostly, but really uh, building brands from strategy through design, through kind of their evolution into the activation. Mm -hmm. And we work across many different industries from, you know, Courtney obviously mentioned CPG, and that's our broad-based range, but of course we work within candy and food and beverages and housewares. Pet. Pet, <laughs> lots of pet. Big one, yeah. um, and even, um, you know, brands that may live outside the grocery store but are still very well-known and recognizable um, and are, are pretty well-known heritage brands. Mm-hmm. So quite a diverse mix there. We do, yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it really fun, too. Yeah. Definitely. So what are some of the specific brands you guys do work on? Um, We mostly work with established and ascending brands. Um, Over the years, established being like your crafts type of companies. But then we've really been focusing ourselves more on those ascending brands that are at a point where they're about to grow and get bigger and they need more help with their packaging. So a lot of the established brands have advertising and they have other vehicles to help them on shelf or um, get that consumer in the door, whereas the ascending brands don't really have those big marketing advertising budgets. So we like to work with them. Some of the brands that we work with are like Wellness Pet Food, Core Pet Food, uh, Brazi Bites, Love Grown. We also do a ton, as Danielle was mentioning, in candy. So we work with parent companies for our candy company, but they own about 30 brands now because they merge with Nestle. So they have Trolley, Black Forest, Brock's, Lemonhead, Red Hots, and we've worked basically across pretty much the majority of the brands. Okay, and going, so you mentioned ascending brands. So who do you think might is, is more challenging to work with, those established brands or those ascending brands? Different. So established is you have more of your hierarchy internally, so you have to get a lot more say and approval and it's harder to make decisions faster. Mm -hmm. Whereas ascending brands are a little bit more kind of on their toes. They have to work very quickly. They have to meet retailer needs faster. 
a lot of times so they uh, make decisions a lot faster. So it's just a different process. Yeah, some of our ascending brands like to talk to themselves, like to talk about themselves as being very nimble and reactive. Mm -hmm. And as Courtney mentioned, that's really fast, fun, more innovative. Mm -hmm. And I think that personally working with some of the larger, more established brands from some of the bigger companies can be a little bit more challenging <laughs> because you don't get to be in the room with the decision makers necessarily. Yeah. And the core team might then have to go to another team and they have to go to another team. And Those so layers of approval. Lots yeah. of layers of mm -hmm. approval, um, lots of opinions, and we're really hands-on and we like working with the decision makers and also yeah. people who are really like-minded and like us. We like to get things done. and Yeah, I would also add to that is when you think about an established brand like Coca-Cola, yeah. You think about in terms of their packaging or the stuff that we work on, how much are they really going to change? Yeah. It's different how than it, yeah, the flexibility is very different. True. So True. that's a big part of it as well as, you know, you get those nimble brands, those ascending brands, they are risk takers a lot of times because they do want to hit growth and and get new retailers and distributors and all sorts right, of things. Right. It's true. And I think even the bigger brands like Coke are innovating more. I recently read an mm. article that the CMO published um, you know, on one of the news wires and he talked all about innovation and how you really have to be innovating more from the inside than you are on the outside. Yeah. Constantly have to be creating brands in order to have things stick and keep your consumers. Um, the model that he used was actually their APAC model, and he was talking about Japan specifically and how the U.S. is trying to adapt to that a little bit more and just over-innovate, do yeah. things that are off the wall, and a quarter of them probably don't even stick, but it's just that continuous pipeline. Being able to try different things. Of trying yeah. new things. So, mm, And a lot of those type of companies, too, mm -hmm. which we see, is they're having incubator programs. So like Pepsi has an incubator program, a couple other ones, Chobani. Chobani, where they're basically putting a bunch of money behind some of these up and coming littler brands mm -hmm. and helping them figure out their path in the industry. But it also gives them a chance at the end of it to invest more into that company, buy it out, you know, what have you. So they do understand that innovation is really driving a lot of the industry that at least we're in. And it's funny you mentioned Coca-Cola because it's especially this time of year, what they do with the bottle and the, the whole ribbon. So that's, that's a really nice approach to the packaging, very outside the box. Definitely separates them. It is. And we'll talk about that a little bit later in terms of what we see yeah. for yeah, trends and innovation. So I'm sure the companies you work with come to you for a variety of different reasons. But uh, what seems to be the most consistent in terms of why they want to work with Hughes Brand? They want to do something stand out. Um, they want to obviously increase their sales. That's typically their number one objective. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the brands are coming to us because they're either new or very often it's a competitive response. So one of their key competitors has launched something and they need to mm -hmm. react to it and create a like product to be able to sustain in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So that's typically um, the reason for why we do projects. And then a lot of the times we'll do an entire overhaul or redesign where it's a brand very often that we've even worked on mm -hmm. six or seven years ago and it's time and we recently published something that talked about the life cycle of a redesign and how often it should happen and five years is pretty much the max these days if you need to be competitive really? okay. yeah, in your market and depends on the product and mm. within cpg what category you're even in but we're seeing turns 
faster. Two to three years. Yeah, yeah, I would say two to three years is becoming pretty standard. It is. So uh, exactly what Daniela said, they usually want to drive their sales, they have competitive, um, or their sales are plummeting, or some reason yeah. like that. Uh, a big thing or a big reason why they choose us versus maybe some of our own competitors in terms of packaging design is we just have a history of taking brands and a lot of times helping them reach a broader target audience. So we had a client, have a client because we're still working, is Brazy Bites. They came to us, their packaging looked like an import at the time that we met them. Okay. and. They were in the freezer section, they're gluten-free, they are a delicious product. It's Brazilian cheese bread. And basically, <laughs> it's, I know, it's like, oh, like fresh out the oven, so good. And they came to us and they had actually seen or found us through another client that we had worked mm -hmm. with, but they needed to broaden their horizons. They were getting only a certain segment of the population who were buying them and mm -hmm. they knew that they could get more, they could, you know, compete against even some of these, like, I guess I would say, like Pillsbury or some of those other uh, mm -hmm. rolls, d uh, dinner rolls, that type of stuff. And what we ended up doing is rebranding them, redesigning them, and relaunching them with a whole new look, bright, stands out behind the freezer doors. Yeah. It has the gluten-free call-outs and stuff, but it's not, a, it's not just for those niche gluten-free consumers, yeah. which is a big part of it, and that's also what they want to make sure was... Mm -hmm. Um, talked about so we updated their communication hierarchy and they have had exponential sales I mean like 4,000% growth in wow. about a couple years crazy crazy sales mm -hmm. and on top of it they have been um, told by Costco that they are a brand who Costco basically recommends them as <clears throat> a ascending brand that did freezer doors right Okay. So if another ascending brand comes to them, Costco will be like, go look at the Brazi Bites case to get an idea of how you can stand out better. So that's a pretty big compliment to us, I think, and also to them. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. I mean, as a company, I, that would be fantastic news. Yeah. So it's been, that's a lot of what we get are these people who, they have fantastic products, but they're just not reaching the audience that they could yeah. or the potential that they could. They're kind of at that stage. And so we'll do that. Another thing, just like I said, like the communication hierarchy. So a lot of the brand strategy, sometimes they don't even know who their target audience should be. So we'll uncover and unravel that, figure out what their equities are. And then another thing kind of that Daniela hinted on is those innovation concepts. So we have a number of clients who come to us because either a retailer ha has asked them, I need you to present X number of ideas for what you're gonna do in the next year to yeah. impress us or something similar. So we'll work on everything from structural packaging ideas to the actual packaging design to even the product concepts. So in terms of candy, we do a ton of candy. Mm -hmm. So they'll come to us and say, okay, what do you, what do you guys see as trends <laughs> going yeah. on and what do you recommend? So we'll come up with like shapes of candy, mm -hmm. flavors, um, crazy names that they could be called. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and we'll look outside a category for that and kind of to kind of expand and yeah. see what it is you can something new that you can bring to it too exactly. as well. Exactly. Sure. Exactly. So and then we have some fun with it and we do some brainstorm sessions and we get a little nutty. And well, that's the best part of it. <laughs> yeah, you get to throw out ideas, yeah. see what sticks. Yeah. So one thing you mentioned that was was interesting was just the idea of some brands work with very niche markets. Mm -hmm. How do you feel when they try to expand? Do you think there's a danger in that of losing that original market? Depends on the brand and the product that they're selling. I mean, if you're selling 
I don't know what I'm thinking, like razor blades, you're not going to then sell milk. It's like right. you have to think about the brand. Yeah. However, if you have a private brand, a private label brand, you probably are selling both of those items. Mm -hmm. So that is something that we also have to think about. Yeah. So it depends on what it is. Um, yeah, we usually look at the company, their products, their portfolio, what makes sense. Kind of what we're, we've been doing with Brazi Bites and some yeah. of our other clients is, okay, if this is what you're selling now, what could you be selling in the future that your consumers are going to be okay with and they won't freak out. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's all kind of part of our strategy and talking like the innovation concepts, uh, product mapping and figuring out the pipeline for the next year or two. Mm -hmm. And when companies are rebranding with you, one, one thing that, especially depending on how long the company's been around, is your brand equity is, is making sure that that's being leveraged. How do you guys make sure that's being done but not lose or also innovating something new? Mm. Right. So that is very often, to your point, a big part of a project, um, especially with brands that have yeah. been around a while. We call them established brands. So within our, um, you know, when we first start a project, we obviously write a brief and we make sure that everybody's aligned with that. And if equity is something that is critical to the brief, we make sure that we outline it and get all the creatives on board. And then throughout the design study, we are identifying what those equities are, but we are also looking at ways to push the envelope. So through some of the things that Courtney mentioned in terms of strategy and new ideas and what the competitors are doing. We're looking to see where we can flex that equity, how do you modernize it, how do you evolve it, um, yet still remain true to its tenants so you aren't going to lose your current consumer base. So we do that through design yeah. and we, we like to call it visual hierarchy. So we're essentially looking at the visualization of what the equity is and what the key hierarchy elements are on pack yeah. and we tend to create at least 8 to 12 to 15 depending on the project different design concepts that then answer those questions in varying ways oh wow yeah it's pretty it's it's one of my favorite parts of the project when you get to because danielle and i are like behind the scenes where we're <laughs> you know working with the clients on the brief and then yeah. all of a sudden you know the designers are given this and we brief them and then they take it and then like couple weeks later yeah. and, and we're with them through the process we get to do uh, creative reviews lots of critiques along yeah the way. but we get to it's so cool getting to see it come to life I think that's the most interesting piece of it yeah from start to finish and with those different designs you said about 15 is it narrowed down to just that that one that they end up sticking with or through the project but when we present <laughs> it we like to like over deliver so they get a lot of stuff. <laughs> we ask a lot of questions through mm -hmm. the different designs that we may present to a client. And again, depending on the type of project, if it is a line extension or they're doing a new flavor or a variety of something, the range might be tighter and we're yeah. presenting three to five ideas. Mm -hmm. But if it is a brand redesign or it's something totally new or a new product, a client is going to see at least eight different ideas and most times more. Um, and we go in and we present each one with reasons for being, mm -hmm. and then we provide recommendations and we're very collaborative. Um, we're not an agency that pushes one idea and says you have to buy this one or else. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and that's kind of been something that has really worked for us too over the years. I think when we decide who we want to work with and clients decide, you know, who wants to work with us, it's usually a partnership and the relationship um, is cultivated through the work we do and decisions we make together throughout yeah. the creative process. Yeah. It's that, that whole onboarding process being so robust. We, you know, we always say that 
the client always knows their industry the best in, in terms of their of their product. But then it's it's up to you guys to then step in and say, well, here are some new ways to, to, to showcase this. Right. Yeah, and it's also, it's interesting because a lot of times with our clients, they know what their brand is and what it stands for, but until they see it visually, yeah, they don't, <laughs> like, it's, it's this right. other intangible element to it that makes it really fun to have those conversations yeah. because you can show them those, like, 8 to 10, 8 to 12 concepts, and they can immediately look at it and go, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes. <laughs> right. But had you tried to get them to verbalize that beforehand, they might not have said like, That's "Oh right. yeah, we we do need blue to be the brand equity color." Right. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's and a lot of clients, when you know, you think of the classic training of a brand manager, yeah. it's financially driven. You know, they love this part of the process because they get to engage in the creative, but they're too busy to even be creative, even if they have a creative personality, because. Yeah. They're working on, you know, the P&L and they're looking at new products and they're working with R&D. And so mm-hmm. that's why agencies like us come in to help them with this. And then that moment of being able to see the package, you know, on the shelf is is probably, you can't even describe it. It's really cool. It's really exciting. <laughs> I will say that. I mean, I think it's one of those things where I thought about this recently. And I feel like we take as much pride in it as the brand managers do mm-hmm. because they have to have the same feeling when they go on yeah. shelf. And we go through the grocery store and we're like, oh, look, we did that. And we did this. And we're it is even just... more so. Like, we become true dorks and we're in the store <laughs> yeah. and we're like propping the package and then oh, we're taking totally. pictures or things are laid down or putting yeah. them back up and making the shelves that look perfect. I literally did that over the weekend because all the Brock stuff is out right now and we did for Brock's all their seasonal stuff. So they have uh, our new candy canes okay. on display. So I literally was at like a mom and pop grocery store over the weekend. Get the shelf all nice, take a picture of it. We're like the hidden regional (laughs) sales team because we make sure that the product is showcased beautifully. Yes, no, it's really fun. Well, their success success is your success. You know, it's it's that deep collaboration, that partnership. So, yeah, and and if their stuff isn't in a store, we also (laughs) go and you probably do the same thing. Go say something like, "Why don't you carry X?" Yeah, there's that too. All about the promotion. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is. So what kind of trends are you seeing in, in actual package design then? There's a trend. Okay, well, there's a few, but there's one that drives me a little nutters right now, and mm-hmm. that's the minimalism trend. Yeah. You know, I don't know if it's behind this whole idea that, you know, you're probably millennial too, so it's like, oh, millennials are driving this. Uh, brandless. Yeah, yeah. brandless, everything. <laughs> the challenge is, is that, yes, you get um, – those trailblazer type brands like an rx bar let's say because that's who everybody's really geared towards right now what they did was unique innovative definitely changed the category however that being said they had a very clear vision of who their consumer was going to be it was targeted it was designed appropriately for them all that information played into it the problem with that for other brands is that they see this success and they go, wow, that company just sold for X amount of dollars. I'm going to do the same thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Then they design it in a similar vein, but they're not taking into account who their consumer is or mm-hmm. even the fact that it's really hard to build a brand mm-hmm. when your logo is really small or you're not, or your logo changes color on every single package. So it's like nobody, no, no consumer can yeah. remember it. They remember the product mm-hmm. almost over your brand. So then it's like what you were saying earlier. If you want to go do a product line extension or a new product, nobody knows who you are. Yeah. 
So that's one trend where it's great for what it is, but it worries me because I see a lot of ascending brands trying to copy mm-hmm. and I, I just get worried for them because I don't know that they're gonna be able to get the consumers behind them. Well, there's a lot of similarity with, with logos too. One one trend, what is it? it it's like the X with the, with the letters right. and mm-hmm. then the circle. I, I don't know the name for it, but I've seen that several times where, where clothing brands are, are mimicking each other and it's, yeah. honestly, I. There, I, I think you're losing brand loyalty at that point because yeah. it's, hey, I don't know who you are. You, you've got a nice product, but I'm not going to remember it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a problem because then, you know, you can get a consumer to buy it once, but if they can't remember who you are or you're losing any type of word-of-mouth marketing because then they right. can't tell somebody else. And I think that kind of style has probably its, its industry as well. I'm, mm-hmm. Apple is also known for that minimalist approach. They were one of the biggest ones to, I feel, launch that. So I, I think technology is probably a good space for that. But yeah. Then again, depending on, on what you're selling, do you really want to show just an apple or just one icon? So. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, for us, taste appeal. I mean, mm-hmm. there's yeah. a lot of clients who come to us and they're like, what do you think of our packaging before we've begun a project? Right. And there's a good chance there's like, it's missing some taste appeal. It's missing yeah. mm-hmm. some luster to get the consumer to buy it. Right. Yeah. Or very often their product is really good, and mm. that's your point, and they need yeah. help telegraphing what's really on the inside, mm. what consumer experience will really be once they purchase the product. So mm. those, are, those are kind of some trends like, I think that we're seeing. That's a big one. I think minimalism is a big one. There's other things which we see which just happen to be, to be about consumer behavior, which is that they're not spending as much time at the shelf or looking at products. Yeah. So nowadays you have, instead of seconds, seven seconds, which is what it used to be, it's now three seconds that they make a decision in at shelf, which so is crazy. So less than a goldfish. So yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's insane. But what that means for us, for in our designers, is that it's got to telegraph now yeah. more than it has to be verbal <coughs> or written, I should say. So there's a lot more iconography happening when we design packaging. It just becomes how quickly can you devour the information that's on that package Mm -hmm. and if it's going to not only tell you what it is, what it does, how to use it, but then do I want this? Is this interesting? Does it intrigue me? There's so many little elements that now you have three seconds Mm -hmm. to do. So it's almost becoming (laughs) pictographic in that sense. Very pictographic. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So that's a big part of it. And then, of course, there's like the big trends that you guys are probably, well, kind of dealing with, but like sustainability and how to talk about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For us, it's even about um, the varnishes that are on the packaging mm-hmm. substrates and the materials that we're using and how recyclable is it? Mm-hmm. Um, does it feel like it's natural, mm-hmm. even though it might not be natural and it's still mm-hmm. plastic? So you know, I recently read about a um, new material that's just come out and essentially it's a tactile. So it okay. feels like a couple of years ago, this new thing was this matte overlacker where you basically take something that is shiny or basic substrate mm-hmm. and you put an overlayer of matte. So then you get that flat, cool, okay. modern feel. Yeah. Well, this new material is actually feels rough, which is kind of crazy. Really? Yeah. It has I... like a tactile feel to it. I haven't sampled it, but I was reading mm. an article about it. So... I'm sure that helps to reinforce the idea of this is a product that's made with Correct. with sustainable natural. materials, natural. Exactly. So that's that was pretty interesting because yeah. I think that could be a new trend mm-hmm. that within you know certain categories in the natural world that brands might be looking to seek out. Yeah, it's almost like paper. 
-hmm. when you think about it because we work in a lot of like Mm -hmm. flexible packaging so that's a lot of your plastics and the types of materials that can make sure your food is still (laughs) edible by the time you buy it uh, so that is, it's for really, sure. it's yeah. fascinating. It's almost like parchment and yeah. paper. You know, we just launched cool. a brand for one of our pet food clients and I actually sent this article to her because I said this would have been perfect for this brand. Can't say it yet, it's not yeah. to market. But, <laughs> Close. <laughs> but we simulated a paper feel okay. through printing and color. Oh, wow. We actually made the background look like a craft paper bag. But if we had added this layer of you know, over lacquer, mm. tactile Just that much more, feel, so, yeah. it would have been really cool. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. And I, I've actually seen, if, if you go down the all, uh, they market themselves as these, the healthy items. They, they definitely made a move to that type mm-hmm. of, like, matte packaging where it's very flat, a lot of earth tones, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to, to hear you guys kind of describe it even more detail. Yeah, it's a very, it's interesting to watch it change. I mean, I think it's almost at the point now, like you were saying, Everything was like burlap sacks. We were doing hot craft paper looking stuff. Like, and now it's kind of in this transition mode, Mm -hmm. I would say, and you can disagree or agree, but basically because of that whole minimalist trend, organic companies and natural companies can kind of get away with a little bit more of a modern look, Mm -hmm. bright colors Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and not have to be burlap. I'm seeing it come back a little bit though. I, it's Some kind of, of both, right? On. I think it's, yeah. it was, you know, like seven years ago, it was the thing, and then it went away, and it went color, color, it's all about bright color, and yeah. the last year, I've kind of oh, seen it come time. back a little. Like that brand Graze, do you guys know it? No. It's what? the, um, it's a, instead of the meal box concept, it's yeah. a snack box. Okay. And they recently launched a retail line. Oh, no so really. I've been buying it and I have like little snack packs and the bags and their packaging is kind of innovative and cute, but they're doing the craft look paired with muted earthy colors. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's kind of cool. Going off of that, there are some companies that really do set themselves apart with their, their packaging and branding. What do you think are the biggest points to consider when you, in order to differentiate yourself from competitors? So we talk a lot about knowing your consumer. Mm-hmm. and really identifying who that consumer is before you start a project. Um, I think paired with that, you then need to know who you are as a brand. Mm-hmm. And we always make sure that we do the right due diligence to work with our clients, make sure everyone's mm-hmm. comfortable with where the target's going to evolve to, yeah. if at all, it might be staying the same, and where our positioning really lies because there's so much going on in the marketplace, I think everybody really needs to be clear. And the most success we have in projects are when brands can identify those two things really clearly up front. Yeah. Um, and I think it's really important to us. And we don't just do design for design. We're kind of business goal designers. Yeah. So mm-hmm. having those strategies defined in the beginning really enable a successful program. Yeah, and I would say in case any brands are like, wait, I don't know that yet. Um, a lot of brands right. do come to us and they don't know that. They're like, yeah. you know, we've existed for 40 years mm-hmm. and we really don't know who's buying mm-hmm. our stuff, but it's selling somewhat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll work with them and whether it's, you know, we do use research mm-hmm. so we can research, find out who their consumer is, the equities, all the stuff that we kind yeah. of spoke about earlier. 
but we also can buy data. So we've bought like Nielsen data before and um, other retailer and kind of pull from that who's buying it, but also who they should be targeting if they're not targeting them already. Okay. So that's also part of kind of our strategy up front is mm -hmm. helping them, working with them, saying, okay, well, what do you know about your brand so far? And then as almost like outsiders or, you know, because we're all consumers ourselves, yeah. especially in our office, we basically, I think we cover just about every demographic. <laughs> so that helps yeah. too. So there's always somebody, I mean, Nancy, who also works with us, did this the other day. She came to both of us and we're like, right. okay, you guys are the target consumers. So which design do you prefer? <laughs> like, right. We do so a lot of that. that. We too. call it grandma research, where we're literally <laughs> just in the office, at our houses, out with friends, mm -hmm. sometimes in a store. Just we'll asking just, like, around, yeah. Randomly pop yeah. something on shelf and ask consumers what they think. <laughs> yes, but all of that stuff feeds into us mm -hmm. cultivating that information of mm -hmm. who the consumer is and what makes them different, what makes your brand different. So for all the brands that are afraid they don't have that yet, you we can we can figure it out. Don't worry. <laughs> and do you find so the brands that that might not necessarily know their audience as well um, and need that guidance? Do you see that they're willing to take more risks in that sense? Yeah, I do. I think uh, we had a project recently which I was really excited by where they've landed and they're hitting shelves in the next month. They've already announced it, so I can say it. But um, it's Adirondack <laughs> yeah. pet food, and basically they came mm -hmm. to us and they were. Kind of family owned and operated company for the last so many years and they're like you know we have this brand we haven't put a ton of you know interest behind it or anything and what do you guys think of it and we did a whole strategy portion of that project uh figured out kind of who their target should be also looking at pricing that's a big part of mm -hmm. figuring out who your competitors are yeah. is who are you really going to be competing at on shelf with is that price mm -hmm. So we'll look at that. We did all this developmental work, and then we did the design portion. We did our kind of near end to far out, like eight to 10 designs. They chose the farthest one. None of us expected <laughs> it, and they took a huge risk, and they've had the greatest feedback. It's paid off. Yeah. From all their retailers, mm -hmm. their distributors, their sales team are really excited about it. So that was pretty incredible. They've already won a couple of awards, like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that was the case, what you were saying with sometimes, yeah, they, they are willing to take that risk. And that's got to be, I feel like, probably one of the most satisfying ones for you guys when you get to really push the envelope of, of what they've given you. Yeah, yeah, I think so. The designers definitely get more excited when that happens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when we're like, they can you just to work on projects like that? <laughs> yeah, otherwise it's like, can you just add a burst on this yeah, that yeah. says grain free? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. No, it's really, it's really fun. That was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And, and looking at packaging, it's it's really not just about the brick and mortar anymore. We're seeing it's definitely becoming about the e-commerce component. What are some of the biggest differences with designing for um, e-commerce packaging? I think we're being asked more to obviously consider e-com packaging and create something that is um, simple and really eye-catching quickly. So now we've gone from seven to three seconds at shelf. Yeah. And when you think about what happens when you're on Amazon, it's probably about a half a second. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if at most, you're mm -hmm. scrolling so quickly. Definitely. So how do you engage a consumer and get them to get to that next level of clicking, reading, and decision-making? Wow. So I, I think it's, you know, when I think about some of the trends that I've seen too in some of these new brands recently redesigned, 
they're big type, they're mm. modern. Um, there's something really eye-catching and quick about them. So some of our clients have asked us to think about that more and more. And then, of course, one of the end stages of our programs is always creating package renderings that then can work for all these e-com sites. Yeah. Um, so that's that's traditional, but then we've done some untraditional, which is experiential packaging mm-hmm. for e-com. So clients that are creating their own websites mm-hmm. for sale um, and distribution. And so we've recently done some custom box designs that were on brand, on strategy, um, created kind of a user, end user opening experience. The whole unboxing. The whole unboxing, exactly. Um, So that's fun. We've done some of those recently too. Yeah, and those are always interesting too because uh, there's more limitations in some respects. Yeah. Because it's got to be a shipping box as well as make sure the product doesn't break Mm -hmm. if it's glass, in which case Mm -hmm. I think what Danielle was talking about was a glass product. And so that's a big component of it, um, fitting the shipping label on it. So a lot of times we have to make sure the box Mm -hmm. is either the same size, this is kind Mm -hmm. of an Amazon requirement. Mm -hmm. The box has to be the exact size of the shipping label. Okay. If it can be. (laughs) (laughs) Amazon, even though they're going to no over packaging, I mean, Mm -hmm. they haven't done a great job of it yet, but some of the brands that they do sell on their site, they're really pushing Mm -hmm. to say, okay, no over packaging. If we get it as one end unit, we're sticking a label on it and we don't want it hanging off the box. It needs to be the exact dimension of the box. And then it's also because of that, a lot of those boxes are like direct print. Mm-hmm. So if they're not doing a litho lamb, which is like the nice photography type of stuff that yeah. you guys get to see, they're doing direct print colors, which bleed. And the more colors you put on, a lot of times a lot less pretty it looks. Right. Um, right. So there's less kind of, more than yeah, there's a lot of that. And also because of the sustainability trend that's going on, eco-friendly is a big part of it right. as well. So there's a lot of almost, I don't want to say restrictions, but it's a lot different designing for that versus in the actual product that's true yeah so we're you know we're seeing both avenues one is the how is the package going to ultimately sell on a larger e-com site and also what is this unboxing experience for some of the brands who are launching their own e-com sites yeah i'm gonna add one more to that the third thing, which is making sure the packaging looks social media ready. Right. That's another thing that we've yeah. had I've a lot of the ascending lately. brands, especially asking mm-hmm. us, basically because they're not doing their advertising dollars, like, you know, the big crafts and yeah. right. them. So they're like, can you make sure that our packaging looks good? So if our consumers get it and they want yeah. to take a picture, if it's dog treats of their dog with that package, mm-hmm. it's a lot of times matte so that because the gloss will flare yeah so in the camera very nicely so yeah we get asked that more often than right, not right which is really interesting because those ascending brands need those images so that they can Absolutely. repost it and yeah. mm-hmm. you know get more marketing themselves so then that unboxing component that's your ability component has definitely become a huge part of, of designing that then yeah yeah we've done that more and more and then even like with that recent brand that we relaunched that we're sending out for our Christmas gifts. Yes. Um, <laughs> there, that just made me think when you talked yeah. about the social media, I mean, mm-hmm. they don't advertise and everything is social media. So it's, oh, wow. that's, that's their vehicle. Yeah. And as soon as the new package was out, it was posted, it was reposted, you know, yeah, that's images it. On yeah. Instagram just out there. 
and yeah. it looked great. The colors look great next to the product. It was just yeah, that's it. It's that's important. how ascending brands are now getting their marketing. I mean, it's word of mar yeah. mouth marketing in a different way. Yeah. yeah. But that's basically what it is. It's really fascinating. We the actually whole viral trending. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's weird. Yeah. We're actually working on this other article about Gen X consumers. Kind of our little <laughs> side gig too <laughs> is like the white papers we do. Yeah. But it talks about that uh, with Gen X and how they're on social media more than millennials even. Yeah. And how they're more influenced by, of course, what friends and family say or post or, you know, what have you. Mm -hmm. So that's the type of marketing that works better for Gen X is mm -hmm. these type of mm -hmm. social media posts where, you know, if I go into the store and I see, oh, this is a great ice cream, you know, Mayfield creamery or something. And then I post it and then Danielle sees it. Yeah. She might be more apt yeah. to go buy it. Definitely. Yeah. Rather than like a big billboard on the side it's, of the building. It's the personal, right. yeah, right. the it's personal, personal reference. Yeah, that almost that referral digitally. Connection. In a weird sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Going off that innovation, the unboxing thing has become a huge thing, but even within the packaging and stores, I've seen a couple new trends that are really interesting. Uh what is it, nineteen crimes red blend wine. Mm -hmm. They provide that VR experience. Do you see any trends like that maybe coming in two thousand nineteen that uh, brands might begin to incorporate in their packaging. We talked about this a little bit. I think we feel that's pretty promotional. Yeah. So we don't know that it's here to stay. And mm -hmm. while it's cool and different and yeah. definitely eye-catching and probably really targeted, I mean, I think 19 Grimes is like mm -hmm. under $12. It's a cheap yeah. bottle, <laughs> yeah. right? So it's totally cool. I mean, I love the whole idea. And we actually pitched that concept to one of our candy clients because we had visions of how interactive their gummy worm could be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got, and all of a sudden our minds were going and we were creating this whole campaign in our heads. Um, but again, it's, it's promotional. And yeah. yes, could it live on pack? Certainly, but we don't see it being the main feature or key USP on packaging. We think it's yeah. a discovery item. It's probably back panel. An awareness factor. Correct. Or, or it's off pack and it's mm. driven by social stuff. Yeah, well, actually, an interesting thing. I'm kind of thinking two things. But one thing I was thinking of is QR codes mm -hmm. are going yeah. out of fashion yeah. like yesterday's yeah. news. Yeah, totally. we've been saying that. So, yeah. <laughs> like, in terms of that, it's like, really, how often are you going to take right. your phone and, like, put it up to something? I mean, yeah. 19 Crimes, I, I haven't even done it in person because I've seen the videos online. Yeah. So I know, it's like, it's I one know. of those things, and I'm not going to buy that bottle of wine, I don't think. No. I'm not probably their target. No. But yeah, QR codes, we're being now asked to take it off packaging because right. no consumer's no, really using it. Yeah, it's not as important. So every few years, there's articles kind of in our industry publications about technology improvements, trends, what have you, RFIDs being added, mm -hmm. all these different elements. But I think at the end of the day, a lot of times they don't stay because they're way more costly. And I don't know that they end up with the ROI that any of these brands it's just not sustainable for. it's not not in the long run because mm. it's like okay 19 crimes what's next nice flash yeah yeah like you got all this press mm. and then what's the next thing so yeah. i think i'd be really curious watching them as a company to see what their next move is yeah mm. because it also sets an expectation with the consumer that okay right. you did that the first time now what are you gonna yeah. do you know right so that's a big part of it uh technology what I'm seeing is that it's moving towards customization, personalization. We were talking about this. There's a lot of printers now that are even offering like the digital printing, which allows you to do almost, you could do every single product differently yeah. if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. 
So I think that's more of where things are headed. I know there's a couple, there's a dog food company that's doing it by brand or breed. Mm -hmm. um, Oreo did a really cool mm -hmm. campaign the last mm -hmm. year where they had different designs on packaging. Mm -hmm. and, and I do know that they did it basically with a mock-up right. house. Right. So mm -hmm. that they could do the digital printing. Right. So right. Coke, customization. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, that could be a trend. But again, I think you have to always consider your overarching brand and that's first and foremost. So yeah. I'm not gonna buy it necessarily if I'm not if I'm a Pepsi drinker. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that second level of oh it's customized to me is cool and exciting. Mm. But number one is is your brand. And, and, keeping that and not letting that experience outshine your brand it sounds yeah. like to your point, nineteen crimes, I think of the video but I haven't bought it. Okay, there you so. go. Right. Right. Yeah. Have you bought it? I haven't bought it. Okay. So I mean, I mean, I'm more of a beer drinker, anyways. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> right. But still, that's pretty unique, right there. Yeah. Where all of us yeah. know about it. Yeah. But there's no purchase. Exactly. So where where's the added value? Yeah, yeah. it's tough. That's what I mean. I don't know that the ROI yeah, I don't know. gets there for them. It'll be interesting. We should look at that I more know. closely and see what, where curious. they're trending. <laughs> mm -hmm. So with e-commerce and digital marketing, we we care a lot about the KPIs. We can track them now. Mm -hmm. What is the measurement when deciding if a product design is successful? So for branding and packaging, it's sales. And a lot of the ascending brands that we're working with do not have $20 million in ad budget. Yeah. <laughs> so it's social for them. It might be one commercial if they have any money okay. or, or none. Um, mm -hmm. And it really is the package at shelf and online. So we were recently asked, we just relaunched the Trolley brand, the gummy yeah. candy brand. And we were asked, you know, from upper management, then asking our client, mm -hmm. you know, measure the, measure the sales data to, to make sure that the new packaging is outperforming where we currently were. And that's hard to do. Yeah, well. First of all, it's hard to do when you're transitioning a brand. It's kind of early on in the process. We yeah. typically don't recommend that that even starts until about six months. Okay. Um, and then data can be purchased. You can, of course, dig into specific key retailers. Their key retailers are Walmart, Dollar General. So they're going to probably look to buy data for those retailers specifically mm -hmm. and then measure where they were versus where they are in a couple months. Mm -hmm. um, but that's that's what happens. I mean, it's it's ROI, yeah. number one, from a you know brand standpoint. Mm -hmm. Did my investment take over and am I good and all the money that I've spent have I gotten Is it back going somewhere? <laughs> right mm -hmm. and then are my sales continuing to grow that's really how we measure yeah and I think um, an interesting point to add to that is also the product has to deliver Correct. so yeah. there's a lot of that where yes you you get all those first-time consumer mm -hmm. purchases purchases but if the product doesn't deliver to that consumer, they're never going to buy it again, no matter right. how pretty the packaging is. Yeah. So that's always something that has to be considered as part of it. Luckily, I think basic, well, all of our clients have really good products. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> thankfully that helps. Right. But it is something you have to take into account is, you know, the formulations involved, um, especially if it's ascending brand and they're moving to a big new Coman mm -hmm. or new facility or something that it still tastes as good. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of other details that are involved, not just packaging or like recalls. I mean, how much, right. how many recalls do you see nowadays? Yeah, well, who was it, uh, Tropicana? They did a rebranding and they yeah. got a huge backlash for that. <laughs> yeah. They just, right. But that's so. not knowing the consumer. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. They went so off target and 
they did something for a conservative brand. They did something so racy. They just <laughs> they <laughs> went crazy. They went crazy. They just it was too much. Yeah. And how do you think brands re- recover from that? Say, do you, do you just go back to to what your packaging was? Do you it's well, tough. Just go to redrawing. <laughs> We've yeah. seen that. We have seen that. It's happened a couple times. So another one that did that was Celestial Seasonings right. in the last year. Yeah. They went to a whole new design. It didn't do as well as I expected it to. And basically, they went right back to the old packaging. Sometimes that can help them recover, and then other times they've already lost the consumer, depending on how long it was yeah. at shelf. Right. Wow. So it really depends. I mean, big companies that aren't even the type of CPG we're thinking, like Gap did that a number of years ago. Yeah, I remember when I, remember I was in that. college, yeah. I was not horrified about, yeah, by yeah, the everyone, new logo. Everyone's upset. <laughs> like, that is not the Gap I know. <laughs> Literally, I think it was within the same week they yeah, announced that, that they were back to the new logo. Like it didn't yeah. even last a week. Yeah. I was in like an advertising class at the time, so it was like, whoo, news of the day. Yeah, and I remember now, seeing that. It yeah. was, I was in a design class, and, and everyone was like, no. <laughs> Why? Why? Why did you do that? And I was working in this industry at the time and yeah. thought the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and being a Gap loyalist for many years was very upset. Yeah, but then they, I, you know, I assume they've done okay since. They're still in business. They're still in business, yeah. so I, I would say that they, <laughs> so yeah. they went they back have. and... Like, just sweeped it under the carpet like they it didn't did. happen. So, you know, we it, all tra- it talk about Tropicana. I mean, that yeah. is funny. Yeah, that. All <laughs> the time. And it's, it's just hilarious. That, well, not it's it's unfortunate, but the, I think it kind of just goes to show that if you don't do your research, you're yeah. you're really wasting your, your money. Well, and that's what it depends. I mean, on what we were talking about with established versus ascending brands, the established brands, if you are going to play with your equity at all, more often than not, we are going to recommend that you do validation research. Right. Mm-hmm. So going out there, talking to your consumers, making mm-hmm. sure you know at least a good portion of them are feeling okay and comfortable with the mm-hmm. new location that you're going with the brand. Mm-hmm. Ascending brands, like we were talking about, they don't have a huge consumer base yet. They're yeah. just breaking into more people, more audience, all that type of stuff. So they could take the risk without doing the validation research more mm-hmm. often than not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like Tropicana probably didn't do the validation research that they could have. Yeah. So. And I, I would imagine even if, if you are an established brand, any any kind of change you're making to your brand is probably going to have some type of backlash to a certain degree. Yeah, there's always going to be a loyalist who's yeah. Yeah. very mm-hmm. comfortable with where the brand is. But right. if you're looking to get new consumers, not yeah. just your current, you have you to. Have to yeah. I'm just going to say that. It's all about growing your consumer base. Mm-hmm. And when you want to steal from competitors, yeah. expand your target, it's the only way to do it. Mm. So, you know, when we propose research studies, let's say we're talking to 600 consumers, we'll yeah. say have 200 of those be loyalists, but let's talk to the new and competitive consumers for the majority of that yeah. number. Yeah. yeah, there's a brand right now and they, they transition and it's driving me a little cuckoo. It's the Land O'Lakes Butter. And what they did, so it's it's one of those like fast moving consumer goods companies and like you're going to buy butter regardless because you need it for ingredients, whatever. So I have always bought the yellow, the salted whipped butter. They just redesigned. It's in the little tub. Yeah, yeah. Circle. Yeah, yeah. The circle tub. They just redesigned and it's now a white. They got rid of the yellow. There's no yellow on it. 
Oh, wow. And the first three <laughs> times that I had to go to the store to buy, because you always know it based on the yellow or the blue, and the blue is unsalted and yellow is salted. And yeah. this is like a mind of a consumer. This is how mm. colors get ingrained into you. Yeah. So I go to look for my yellow, and then I'm like, is that the margarine or is that the butter? And yes, yeah. and it's one of those wow. things where it's like in my refrigerator now, it's still driving me kind of crazy, <laughs> and I would love to know how it's doing. Now, again, as I said, it's an ingredient, so people are going to buy it. So right. they might not have been risking as much because people like me are going to stand there in mm -hmm. front of the freezer for a long-ass yeah. time trying mm -hmm. to find it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, it shows you mm -hmm. as a consumer, and it makes you go, wow, like, I have become so, like, Pavlov dog. Yeah, right. Trained, <laughs> trained to buy the yellow butter. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. It's one of those what. things when it switches, or like milk. If milk, if yeah. they change the colors of milk. Oh, oh that it. throws me off. No, forget it. Like, no, that's that, the type of stuff. It's, it's all. Yeah. It's almost upsetting. Like you said, yes. it, it like right. almost makes you yeah, a little you angry. Get the to red think one, about you it. get the yellow one, you get the yep. like. And then different brands do something different. Like when you're at Whole Foods, mm -hmm. the skim is pink instead of blue. So you're like, wait, is that the one? <laughs> yes, it's all that. I buy milk stuff. off solely the red. Yeah. The red. That's whole milk. Whole milk. Yeah. Born and raised on it, so I always know that's what I'm going for. Yeah, so. it's so it's really interesting when you become you realize yourself when they do a redesign and you're like, oh my gosh, have I been programmed? Yeah, <laughs> this, this is the world I live in. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got to say thank you, you know, for teaching us so much about packaging and and branding. Do you have anything else you know you want to share before we close out? Any any comments? I so. Yeah, I don't think so. I think um, you know Danielle and I are both very lucky to work in a pretty fascinating, uh, constantly changing industry, which makes it really exciting. And it's, you know, if anyone else is interested just in learning more about branding, design, how all that stuff plays into it, you know, definitely look into package design industry. I didn't even really think about it. You go to the grocery store how many times a week yeah. and you don't even think about this industry existing. Right. So it's just, if anyone else kind of is hearing this or thinks it's a pretty cool thing, you yeah. know, definitely look into it. It's a whole different world out there for marketing and branding. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you both for, for coming in and, and speaking with us today. It's fantastic hearing you speak about the industries, trends, everything you've been seeing. So thank you both so much. You're thank welcome. you. This was fun. Yeah, very fun. All right. Thank you for tuning in to e-commerce disruptor. Please subscribe and comment. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at electric engine and find more information at electricengine.com. This has been the e-commerce disruptors podcast presented by electric engine. Subscribe today to stay up to date on all future episodes. Please follow us at electric engine on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or shoot us an email at podcast at electricengine.com. That's engine spelled E N J I N. Feel free to leave us any comments or questions about this episode and let us know what you'd want to hear in future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening.